dream a long time ago. Before I had achieved anything professional. I dreamt I was in a cinema watching a movie with an audience. And suddenly I realized I was aging rapidly. Growing horribly old as I sat there. It was the movie that was doing it. I had caught some kind of disease from the movie and it was making me grow old, bringing me closer and closer to death. <laughs> I woke up terrified. And look at me now. Look where I am now. You see? The dream is coming true. <laughs> Synesthesia, a movie podcast featuring Jason Michaelich and Jim Hickox, begins now. Pull the string. understand physical process on earth requires a revision of the theory that we're all God's creatures, all that Victorian sentiment. It should certainly be extended to encompass disease, viruses, and bacteria. Why not? A virus is only doing its job. It's trying to live its life. The fact that it's destroyed you by doing so is not its fault. It's about trying to understand interrelationships among organisms, even those we perceive as disease. To understand it from the disease's point of view, it's just a matter of life. It has nothing to do with disease. I think most diseases would be very shocked to be considered diseases at all. It's a very <laughs> negative connotation. For them, it's very positive when they take over your body and destroy you. It's a triumph! It's all part of trying to reverse the normal understanding of what goes on physically, psychologically, and biologically to us. It's a lot more philosophical than I thought it was going to be. Oh, no. Cronenberg is like, he that's what he does. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. He just thinks about things a lot. <laughs> Good for him. Speaking of which, <laughs> one of the books I have over here, <laughs> I surrounded myself with books because I... Because am, they will love you no matter what? Yeah, exactly. No, um, <laughs> because not to say that we're unprepared, <laughs> uh, but I I didn't come with anything to talk about at all. <laughs> um, just, a, just a pure desire to talk to you yeah. <laughs> and to be a part of the... Of the Spooktober. Yeah, yeah. So I just grabbed whatever books I saw that might have anything to do that with horror. something spooky. <laughs> and I thought, I can just leaf through them and maybe we'll find something funny to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that sounds great. But I was saying to body horror, one of the ones I grabbed was Cronenberg on Cronenberg. So I oh, assume nice. he's got to have some, I got to be able to flip to some like. Yeah, we should, this can be like a. Well, you, did you read or has anyone told you about that Rick Ross book on creativity? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, please tell me more. Editor's note. Jim is thinking of Rick Rubin, not Rick Ross, which these two dopes will realize in about a minute. I I haven't read it because obviously why 
why would I? Um, but a bunch of people have been talking about it. But one of the things they talk about is him, like, having people go to... I think a million people have done this, but, like, you know, they're, like, stuck in the studio, and he's like, ah, go flip open a book, pick any of my magical books and flip it open, and then we'll we'll see what, what the spirit says, and then, the, and then that guides, you know, and then... The guy from System of a Down writes a sentence from some book into his lyrics, and everyone's like, "Genius!" Uh, <laughs> uh, it'll be like that. It'll be like that. Well, you just you just grab a bit, and then we'll and then we'll find our brilliance through. It's kind of, it's basically it's just like clumsy I Ching. I thought I thought maybe you were gonna glean some lessons from Rick Ross, like have other people do all of the things that matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That frees up a lot of your time to be creative. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the dream. Yeah. Like, Build oh, yourself hey, well, a you, house out of I, marshmallow. The rest, you guys over there, you, can you just take care of it being? <laughs> take care of it being, being good's great, but just have it but be. just being. Just, yeah. yeah, just be, I'll be, I'm gonna go be creative in the bathroom. <laughs> And then later you come in and they're all doing the work and you're like, hey, have you guys tried breathing near trees? And they're like, fuck off, Rick Ross. We're making a record right now. I don't actually know that much about Rick Ross. <laughs> no, yeah, me either. That, that's about as much as I... I get. Yeah, I have the cultural perception of Rick Ross. <laughs> I'm actually realizing right now that I have to retract everything I said. <laughs> because I was thinking of Rick Rubin. <laughs> oh, when wait, I said am I have somebody about... else do all everything, <laughs> I might wait. I might be wrong. I might be talking about. It. And now I'm worried. That... It was just the way that you. Who's like... a white guy with a long beard? That's Rick Rubin. Oh, I'm talking about Rick Rubin. I'm talking. Oh, about okay. Rick Rubin. You are talking about Rick Rubin. You scared me for a minute when you switched it to Rick Ross. No, I was saying Rick Ross the whole time, but I meant Rick Rubin the whole time. And through your tone, through the stank you put on it, I can yeah. tell you meant Rubin. <laughs> But yeah, no, Rick, I don't mean any Rick Ross to Rick is cool. Ross at all. Rick Ross is good at his job and makes fun rap. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everybody who got mad at me for three minutes while I was <laughs> taking swings at... <sighs> Did they talk about the time he, like, kidnapped a band in his car? <laughs> I hope. You Like, in his book, does he talk about that? Yeah. I hope so. I'm trying to remember whose story that was. It might have been Sonic Youth. <laughs> And he just, like, showed up. He's like, oh, I only have one copy of the album. Come into my car. Then he just put it on driving around and, like, talked through it the whole time and then just wouldn't let them out of the car. <laughs> I don't know. I'm probably just slandering the man needlessly. Well, I just needlessly slandered Rick Ross <laughs> aggressively <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> Uh, I'm right now very sleepy, uh, which I don't have a good excuse for because I sleep enough. I just don't sleep well lately. <laughs> I mean, that that would mean you're not sleeping enough. Well, but I sleep like for uh, a number of hours that feels adequate or beyond adequate. I just uh, don't do I'm just not doing a good job. Lately. <laughs> Which is so like you stay asleep. That's, that's yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is uh, it's it's frustrating because that's also my problem in life, you know, where I like I get things done, but I just not nearly as quickly as I want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and now I'm having the same problem while I'm sleeping, which is which is my escape time. <laughs> it's rude. It's rude of my body. <laughs> it's rude of my brain. It's rude of my cat who sits on my head all morning. And that might also have something to do with it. It's part of it. It's part of it. <laughs> so that's actually interesting. I mean, you've seen a lot of Cronenberg's movies, right? Several. I wonder why... I wonder why you wouldn't assume that he would be philosophical. What do you think about the films put you in that mindset i i don't generally think of filmmakers as being philosophical people i think as a as a broad swath um so I, so I, I guess i'm jumping off from an unfair starting point because probably a lot of them are uh no <laughs> well surely some of them are uh 
<laughs> At least one of them is. And his name is David Cronenberg. <laughs> I'm not I'm not made uh t- t- to do the thing, you know, to like live life under under capitalism. I I have been thinking a lot lately about how I don't I think if I I'm worried I'm worried that the trajectory of my life at this moment, here's my midlife crisis. I'm worried that the trajectory of my life at this moment is towards an old age where I will be relatively comfortable, but I will be tortured by the fact that I never gave it the beans you know i feel like i need to i feel like i need to spend more time struggling now and then later when i'm old i can also struggle (laughs) but (laughs) but but knowing that i that i did everything i could you know um like if i'm old and poor and i don't know tragic but i know that i did everything i could I think I'll feel better than if I'm old and like have enough money and have food on the table and a house and a cat. But I know that I never swung for the fences. This Halloween edition of Synesthesia. (laughs) We're taking on the real horrors. (laughs) It's all been fun and games up until now talking about movies. (laughs) Cheap spook-em-ups. But now we deal with real horror. Yeah. Welcome to your life, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard, man. It's hard. Although... (laughs) Forgive me. I'll... Although, uh, as your boys get older, surely at some point it'll get easier again. Yes. Because yes. surely they, they can't be more than mm, eight years out from being like, shut up, dad, leave me alone. Right? Oh, I'm praying. <laughs> no, um, obviously my heart will break, but uh, yeah, I expect yeah, yeah. at some point. I mean, I, I'm surprised it hasn't hit already with Gus, but he's still... <laughs> You know, hanging back in the cut, but... Sure. Um, yeah, I'm assuming it's going to get easier as the boys get older. That's what I've been saying all along, but somehow, for some reason, it now feels like... I guess now that I'm 40, it's like, oh yeah, as the boys get older, so I'll be, what, like, 44? 40, oh, sure. <laughs> it's okay, 45's great. No, it is. I'm just... Uh, some of my favorite I'm, records are 45's. I'm feeling mortality. Not... Like soon mortality, not near mortality, but I think no, I for the first—I mean, not for the fully first time—but it's a new understanding of it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I'd actually relate it much to having children. It's one of those things that you can understand everything about it except how it actually feels, <laughs> right? Sure. Like, sure. So it, it's one of those things where you know, as ready as I was to be a parent, as much as I was like, sure, on I. I got to the other side of it and I had no idea. You know, it was like, whoa, okay. Like I thought of it. If anybody, I would be the, I would be ready. Yeah. But no, it's it's a different feeling. (laughs) Uh, But I think they, there's a similar truth to dying. (laughs) No, to, to the feeling (laughs) of mortality. Mm, Like Gus literally turned to me the other day and said, dad, you know, I just feel like I'm not ever going to die. Mm. And I'm never going to get old. Um, and granted, the only reason... Well, you, like, you... hold on to that, buddy. Hold <laughs> on to that as long as you can. Well, it's also... I mean, I'm try- I'm not ignoring the fact that by saying that out loud, what he means is, I think I'm definitely going to die. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not ignorant of the anxieties being covered there. But I also, <laughs> you know, when he said that, I was like, oh, I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> I definitely don't feel that way anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I have a if I have a new ache in the morning, I'm worried <laughs> that it's going to be permanent. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So this really is the topic of the episode then. <laughs> <laughs> Aging. The, the genuine horror of being a man child in his forties. 
What uh, what better for autumn spooky season than discussing the autumnal period of our lives? <laughs> I mean, it also is a good percentage body horror, so. That's true. Yeah, things get weird. Did you teach camera? Um, yes, I'm Jason, gen- I teach movie. I'm genuinely just curious. <laughs> I teach movie. I teach camera. Picture camera. Picture camera move. Move camera move. Shadow. <laughs> um, Honestly, pretty good film class. <laughs> I think also, I don't know, I think that I am so anti-intellectual generally uh, that I assume that people who make things that I like and make things that share, not to say that my work is anything like his necessarily, but I think it shares some commonalities. Uh, so that so my assumption would be that he would also uh, be a dum-dum like me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just interesting to me. I'm trying to put myself back before I knew what he sounded like when he talked or, you know, sure. he, how he wrote. I don't think I've ever heard him talk outside of when he pops up in a movie once in a while. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I've, I've seen him live actually. Um, Doing what? Uh, at the, Just at a grocery um, store. No, no, no. Uh, it, it was a, Skateboarding. A, a screening of Eastern Promises uh, in back in New York when I lived, when it first came out. Sure. Um, so he was there. Uh, See, I uh, actually had Vigo with him. My first assumption would be like, he shows up and he offers to fight anyone naked at the end of the movie. But clearly I'm inventing a different man. He was there and he, <laughs> he just waxed philosophical about, about the promises of the East. Well, it's interesting to me because I perceive all of his films. And I think that many people perceive his films this way. Like, I think this is sort of the way they're discussed generally. As, as philosophical as, screeds? Well, as being intensely cerebral, as being huh. more uh, analytical than other genre films or other films in general. Weird. Um, and that's just always, that's always been my sense of his work, even before listening to him talk, um, both from like the films as I've, as I saw them and from hearing other people talk about them. Sure. Um, sure. anyway, it's just interesting to me that I, I would have that impression and you would have the opposite impression or, I've, I mean, not even, not, it, it's just, I mean, I hadn't, I, I hadn't really thought about it, you know, but his yeah. films don't strike me as as specifically philosophical so i never so i never i don't know yeah no i i'm just i'm interrogating in myself where that idea came from yeah right like sure that's what i'm trying to go back to before i'm trying to remember what it felt like to watch his films for the first time and when i knew who he was as a figure yeah versus when i saw the movies i'm just, i'm but i'm not sure i can necessarily parse it out I will say it might have to do with the fact that I think the first movies of his I saw mm-hmm. were the ones that were coming out when I started getting into movies, like as a real serious what, thing. What would that have been? So that would have been like Existence. <laughs> okay. Uh, Spider. Oh, I don't think I've ever actually seen Spider. Oh, so so this is, I think this is actually maybe the crux of it is that I think of Spider as this very specific, like, I don't know, crux point in his career. Okay. Because Spider is just a very, it's a straight psychological story. Okay. There's no, uh, horror or science fiction or, or other genre elements to it. Weird. Um, it sort of has the trappings of a thriller, maybe, but it, it's mainly about this guy who can't remember where he, you know where he came from or who he is uh and cinematically exploring the psychology of him experiencing that and then the sort of trauma of remembering okay that's a real high level description based on the last time i saw it which sure. was 20 years ago sure sure, sure. Um, but my only point being is that that film certainly to an 
overly serious teenage uh, Jason <laughs> who was already a member of the philosophy club at his high school uh, to watch Spider, it felt like such a deliberately philosophical film. Sure. Because it is literally just going over memory and reality and sure. delusion and... but. As I said, visually, it's Cronenberg. Like, he finds a way right. to do that. Uh, this this actually taps into another <laughs> another element of why... Th- this also r- relates to me just being maybe a little too dumb to know, which is that I also don't... I've, I've read almost no philosophy. I don't know... I don't know philosophy. So I do see Cronenberg's films as dealing with limits of the human experience and how they affect people which i guess is maybe intrinsically philosophical or like pushes into it's hard to deal with that without trying to engage if you're trying to find an answer you have to do it through philosophy maybe um but i i I maybe am just ill prepared to say whether or not someone is being philosophical at all because i just i mean i've i've read some I've read some in more recent years because I've been reading mostly film theory stuff in recent years for fun. Uh, but, and, and that touches on it. Right. But, but again, even there, I prefer things that ignore philosophy <laughs> entirely. So I, yeah, maybe I just don't know what makes something philo- philosophic. Well, I mean, I, I don't, I think that there's a lot of really interesting perspectives in that self-description. <laughs> that you just went through but i i don't think it it makes you like ill-equipped to say because i think what you mean by philosophical really is just like articulately thoughtful about the meanings of the films maybe Mm, i don't know i don't know but but i i mean i don't really know either but i'm curious to investigate it like i don't know for some reason it interests me yeah this will be our halloween theme is everything about cronenberg that isn't horror (laughs) Because well, yeah, what is cerebral? What is philosophy? It's just like trying to discuss the meanings of things. Is that it? Is that all it is? Yeah, it's like the pursuit of knowledge for the sake of knowledge, not for the sake of something else. Yeah, okay. You know, it's you know love of knowledge. So it, it's well, then I am philosophical. Yeah. So yeah, it's trying to answer answering impractical questions. Oh, you know? then I was like too philosophical to be good at school. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me see what other books I have here. Just to, I mean, we, I, 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 I was trying I to make the body horror segue, but I grabbed Cronenberg, oh, right. and so of course we got philosophical. Yeah, because yeah, I, yeah. any page of this is going to be, you know, well, I was being very thoughtful about my own misogyny, <laughs> and I decided to depict it frankly as if we were alien species. <laughs> That's so funny. I really, I could imagine him just being like, uh, make the fly guy goopier. <laughs> Anna? Yeah. I feel like that's usually what I'm yelling on set. More slime. Well, I don't know what he's saying on set. Sure. <laughs> sure. It's more of like, what is he saying over dinner with the lead actors? Right, right. Oh, man, I've been watching videos of Friedkin lately <laughs> being like, I love Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones shows up. I tell him where to go in the room, who to talk to. He does it. Uh, and then Javier Bardem comes in and he's like, hey, I wrote this whole book about my character that I want you to read. And I say, okay. And I throw it away and I tell him I read it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Friedkin is a great. <laughs> it's like 60% accurate in everything he says, but he just says it's so sure. good. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> He's a real showman. <laughs> he comes in and uh, asks me why his character's doing stuff. And I'm like, I, you just make stuff up. You just got to lie to him. Come up with some bullshit. Say it. <laughs> yeah. And then make him do the thing that you're supposed to do. <laughs> yep. Uh, he did another horror movie. The Exorcist. <laughs> another horror movie. <laughs> After that, didn't he? I, at least one. He must have. I don't know. I mean, it would be shocking if no one was like, let that guy make another horror movie. Well, I don't think he was really interested in making a horror movie to begin sure. with. And certainly gonna... that's not what he, like, tried to do with most of the... I'm trying to think of the rest of his... Career. Career, because it's mostly, like, thrillers, uh, sort of crime-based. Sure. But there was 
I'm skimming. I'm skimming right now. The, bug? The, bug is sort yeah, of Yeah, that's thing. bug. That's what I was going to... I think... Which I think is... His is, spider? <laughs> um, I think it's based on a Tracy Let's Play. It's definitely based and on so I, play, yeah. I think that it... Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that because it's from the stage... Not, I'm not trying to say that Friedkin was like, oh, well, it's pedigreed, so I'll sure. do it. But I think it... I think it... I mean, I would believe that. Because... I, I think because it, like, existed as... as played on stage yeah. and as a play yeah for i i feel like maybe for some reason that gave him the distance to decide mm. to actually shoot horror scenes again because when you do it on stage there's not like any of the the heightened visual effects that you can do with cameras to actually make something sure turn from a sort of a horrific dramatic scene to a horror experience for the right. audience um but I think that's the only other time he, I could really say that he went there. I mean, he made films that had existential horror at their core. Sure. But that, but they were not usually expressed in the genre trappings of horror. Yeah. Which is weird, because his last name, Fried Kin, uh, implies cannibalism, you know? And you would think that that would be <laughs> something a guy would, would have if he ate people. <laughs> he, I saw him in person once. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it came to a screening of Sorcerer, and afterwards there was, like, a Q&A, and the person was trying to ask him questions about Sorcerer, and he just told us, like, a really long story about, uh, oh, the Duke. <laughs> Who's the Duke? As uh, an actor, that's his nickname. Uh, racist. John Wayne? Yeah, he told us a really long story about John Wayne, like, getting into a fight okay. at, a, at a screening of something sometime. I wish I, it was a funny story, but I don't remember. Yeah, he's, he's a real raconteur. Yeah. I saw him live, too, um... Actually, I think I, I saw him twice because it was for the same... Uh, it was like two different times in the same weekend event. Because mm, mm -hmm. uh, two different screenings. Um, one for Sorcerer. Mm, mm -hmm. And uh, one for... Shit, just give myself enough space for an edit there. Because <laughs> I'm blanking on the name of the goddamn movie. It's the... Killer Joe. The, yes, thank you. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so it's one of those, was a screening of Killer Joe. And so he was doing a Q&A after Killer Joe. Great. Um, which is another Tracy Letts. I yeah, yeah. Um, along with Bug. And, you know, actually Killer Joe does have... Some horrific stuff. <laughs> well, it's certainly some horrific <laughs> stuff. Some fried kin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but also a touch of Supernatural. That's true. Um, anyway, mostly mostly what he talked about after the screening was uh, Clarence Carter's stroking. <laughs> Great, yeah. Because that's what plays over the end credits. Oh, uh, okay. Great. Great. Uh, and he basically came out and he was like, I just want to clear up everything. I'm not a misogynist. <laughs> um, but also, how about stroking? <laughs> I'd put that at the end of any movie. Sure. Yeah, it's a great song. End of the Godfather. <laughs> Stroking. She's looking through the door. He's looking at his capos. And the door closes. I'll be stroking. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's right. It is a great song. Yeah. 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 He's not wrong at all. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, I, I don't know. I would be more inclined to watch the Godfather. Yeah, no, he's not wrong on any particulars. <laughs> but I thought it was funny that that was the most of what he talked about yeah. at the Harvard Film Archive. Yeah, yeah. It seems like he's just going to talk about whatever he's been thinking about. <laughs> yeah. Or, or really whatever he's sort of... I mean, he, he is... Was uh, sure. I mean he had the cadence of a very practiced speaker. Yes, and uh, he was essentially doing stand up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just without calling it that, right? Like he's doing a very niche kind of stand up, yeah. which is to be the funny raconteur who's you know does Q and A's for stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's not like he was like, oh, I really want to talk about this today. It's more of like, oh, I have this bit. Yeah, or this bit will work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I yeah, don't think I don't think I've done this bit for them yet. Yeah. yeah. Which I want to hasten to say, that's not a, cri a criticism. No, no. That's... <laughs> that's... That admiration. I'm, I'm appreciating his admiration. craft. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you something. <laughs> yes? Um, have you gotten any weird voicemails lately? Have I? <laughs> Wait, did you leave me one that I should know about? No. No, I got one. I think it didn't 
So the voice did not identify itself. Sure. It was robotic. Okay. And I think it might have been... Do you remember, like, years ago? Yes. We used to work for that insane drum machine. Oh, Jason, I don't want to think about that time. I, you know, I know, but... You're not suggesting that you got a voicemail from the insane drum machine. I think I did. We absolutely destroyed that. (laughs) I thought so, too, but the... It was a it was a robotic voice and it knew me and it but it didn't sound like it didn't sound like those robotic voices where there's like a pre-programmed list of words sure. and it's selecting from them. It was it flowed a little bit more than it was muttering to itself, Jim. Mm, I don't like on that. the phone call. I don't like that, Chase. I was saying something about a satellite. What does that mean? I, I mean, I know what a satellite is, but what does that mean? I don't know. And so I didn't know if it had called you too, or maybe it just found my number. I'll be honest, I've prob- nev- I haven't listened to my voicemails in a month. <laughs> okay, well, probably, probably it was just trying to sell me like a car warranty, and it was some other. Th- it's probably not. Okay, I'm probably just overreacting. Okay, but it just—I don't well, like that, Jason. I just I had like, like a that. like a pit in my stomach when I heard it. Yeah, of course, that was the worst period of our lives. It's dead. We killed it. We definitely killed it. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to worry about that. I don't need to worry about that. It did used to mutter to itself, but we killed it. Okay. All right. Check your voicemail. Just let me know. Okay. Just, just you know, due diligence. Putting this, putting fears to rest. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, if it didn't die, it's got to be pretty fucking pissed. I don't want to think about it, man. That's where can you go? Where can you go with that? Where can you go with that line of thought? No, we're good. No. Oh God, no. It has to have died. Yeah. It's been years. It's been years. It would have contacted us earlier. Yeah. If it was still alive, we wouldn't be. Like, yeah, that's pretty exactly. clear, right? Exactly. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. We're All right. here. All right. I'll therefore, sleep. I'll, it is I'll not. I'll sleep better tonight. I'll yeah. sleep better tonight. <clears throat> I know we I know we promised never to bring that yeah. time period up again, but I just... You know, I got worried, man. Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. I'm not... I get it. It's dead. Okay. But I was going to ask you about David Cronenberg's short camera. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. I the, and I was just genuinely curious. I, I, you I, must have sent it to me. I think that's you what I was going to say. I, I, I want to say that I don't want to just self-aggrandize. But when you said you taught with it, it's like, <laughs> I think that was probably part of the like. Well, the first time I heard it was cinema class. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I asked you for advice because you had taught that before. And I, I haven't even taken it in study, cinema studies class. That's not a thing I ever put any effort into uh or was ever obligated i mean twice i've taken two interests in i took scots and yeah. i took one at grad school um but it's not yeah so i asked you and i'm sure 40 percent of what i teach is still just stuff you sent me <laughs> so i'm sure that's where it came from yeah um yeah because i loved showing that to film students and just having seeing like what they yeah. made of it yeah I feel like one of the the big thing we usually talk about, I think, is just, I mean, there's like clearly two different aesthetics to the film, you know? Yes. Uh, and it's like, what is that? What does that mean for you? How does it feel? You know, like what, what is it? What's the difference for you and your brain when you're looking at one of these aesthetics from the other? Like, does one half yeah. ring differently than the other? That's kind of the big. Yeah. I mean, the, that's the, that's the, like the easy topic of conversation. Yeah. Right. Because it's, uh, do we have an obligation to explain things to our audience? Oh, ugh, I forget people listen to us. Do they? <laughs> I just do this for a short fun. film. I mean, yeah, I just do it to talk to you about things. <laughs> um, no, I mean, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a. You can watch it right now. Pause. Yeah. If you're listening. Go look it up. You Stop watch it, listening. We'll, yeah. Go watch Camera by David Cronenberg from the year, let's say, 2000. Something like that. It is. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, and uh, and then come back. Um, no, it was part How'd of... How'd you uh, like it? <laughs> <laughs> we'll wait. <laughs> yeah, should we just, how long is it? Six minutes? Um, something like that. Eight minutes? Ten minutes? All right. See you in ten. Uh, I don't know. I just watched it twice, but I should know. <laughs> um, no, but it's... Uh, it was commissioned by T 
TIFF, I want to say. Sure. And it was, um, they like, commissioned a handful of Canadian filmmakers to make short films sort of on the topic of cinema for some kind of anniversary. Sure. And so Cronenberg turned in this short called Camera. That's just, it's a very simple production of a film. Yes. Um, it's just, what's his name? Les, Les Carlson? Carlson? Yeah. Yeah, Les Carlson. Great, great actor in a bunch of early Cronenberg stuff. Just monologuing, essentially, sitting in like an old, uh, like a pleasantly old kitchen. Yeah. Charming. It's sort of like a, like a farmhouse kitchen almost style, um, with like a swinging door and paint that's lightly chipping and it's all shot and mini DV. Uh, so it, it has this softness and harshness to it at the <laughs> yeah. same time. Crunchy softness. Yeah. But he's just monologuing about, uh, this group of children, this unknown group of children that has some relationship to him found an old camera. And of course, I mean, he's telling the story. It's like, oh, the, the children found an old camera and they were very <laughs> excited. They got it working and they're, they were recording things, but then every time you see them with the camera, it's like a 35 millimeter Aeroflex on a gliding <laughs> dolly. They're, yeah, they're like pushing it down a hallway. One kid's yeah. sitting on a dolly. Yeah, they're like yeah. They have in. all of the equipment that you would have that you would rent it for a, a professional film set. Yeah, but they're all like, I don't know, eight years old uh, or you know, eight or ten years old. It's all very adorable, including a little mini David Cronenberg kid <laughs> who comes in as the director, the, the haircut and the glasses. It's like yeah. action. Um, but yeah, it's just Les Carlson monologuing on sort of the philosophy of cinema and death, like aging and death. It's a lot about like the camera cat captures the moment as it dies. Yeah. It's, it's sort of a, a chronicle of dead time. Yeah. And then at the very end, like, the whole time he's giving this monologue, he's talking about watching the kids and his relationship to film and his relationship to time and what he's thinking. But the kids are all just busily working yeah. on whatever their production is, and he's in it. And so they come in and start making him up and measuring the focus and getting him ready. And then the final shot of the film, which is the easy thing to, to ask kids about, is shot on 35 millimeter scored with like Howard Shore music. <laughs> it's like a slow push in and yeah. he delivers the first line from his monologue again, but this time in a, you know, quote, real movie. Yeah. You know, he's been like monologuing 35. In, in, yeah. Beautiful, in the whole time. Lit. Oh, it looks, yeah. And it's got that, looks, that pacing of a, of yeah. a Cronenberg shot. And like I said, Howard Shore is in there. So it sounds like a Cronenberg movie and, and it it it, ha it ends on this just incredibly haunting note. Yeah, to me. Yeah, I don't know what which the, you know, your he's kids saying pick kind up of on. the same thing, but a more saccharine version, right? The the yeah. the lines change for the positive. The first time through, he's sort of opining death and aging, and then the second time, it's it's almost the same. Or it's like the same ideas, sort of, but they're presented with a much more positive spin where it feels an optimistic in a way where it's, uh, um, it like, yeah, it like fakes towards optimism, but he only gets the first line out. Yeah. And then the camera just holds on him. Yeah. And what and Les Carlson does with his face is he's just starts deteriorating on the inside. Yeah. He starts performing silently for the 35 millimeter camera that can, that he could capture with his presence that way he just starts performing all of the range of emotions that he gave in the monologue for the yes. 10 minutes preceding yes yeah you get to really get in there well he, yeah he is harrowed in a way that yeah it, it shakes you a little bit right what do your what do your students make of it like do they react to it i don't know what emotional trajectory do they seem to take from it if anything they i mean the the big things that i hear a lot are um that uh i they that the the first what four fifths or whatever feels more truthful than the end the due to you know production quality there's something about the rawness of it that makes it feel more like those are 
Les Carlson's actual feelings. Uh, whereas the last part is sort of um, him him portraying a role for the kids. Um, people like to talk about how he is he is aged, right? Uh, and 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 so the children sort of could be twenty year olds, you know. That it's it's like looking at the next generation uh, in a sort of um, in like a loving and hopeful way. Uh, those are the big things. That's what they, you know. What they talk a lot about is the is the 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 like mini DV camera, the framings in it, and how intrusive they get. Mm-hmm. How they get, it gets really up in his face. Yeah, um, in a way that feels rude. <laughs> they like talking about that. <laughs> when he gets very animated and and yeah, like really letting out all of his his angers and fears about aging and death and yeah there's a real earnestness <laughs> to it it struck me watching it again recently that it it kind of contains a lot of um it contains and sort of sums up a lot of cronenberg's interests and concerns from the first <clears throat> i don't know it's not a neat half i don't think but the yeah. first section Fortune. Yeah. Of his career, because I, I think we we've talked before about how the year two thousand or close to it is sort of a dividing line for in sure. some ways for him. Yeah, um, you know, on the one side you have that you have the early films like Shivers and Rabbit, and then you have that stretch starting from Videodrome and going through uh, to existence. Crash so and Existence. Yeah. Um, that. They're not the same, obviously, but they, they feel of a, a piece. There's a thread there. There's something he's pursuing. And then it feels like he turns after that. Yeah. And starts making films about other things or, yes. or, or about the same things, but in other ways. He For starts making, view. yeah. He starts making films from other people's scripts mm-hmm. after that. Um, I notably history of violence and Eastern promises is sure. His Viggo Mortensen films, <laughs> yeah, um, duology, were written by Josh Olson and Stephen Knight, who are two like major screenwriters in their own right, and you know, did you know they they, they weren't writing with him? They sure. wrote full scripts, and then they went through you know once he was on the project maybe and did some rewrites or did other things, but they, it, it was it was imagined before he came on the project, and that's not something I remember him doing. In the 80s or 90s. Yeah. Um, you know, he might adapt. And Butterfly. Yeah, or, or William Burroughs. But sure, sure. I know there's something about Camera that's grabbed me ever since I first saw it that I really do read it as, I mean, we're talking in October, and I'd say, like, I really read it as a horror film. It is, it is like horrific. It, it's, uh, I mean, I, I'd say it's actually one of the more unsettling short films I've ever seen. Sure. But it. It all has to do with like the ideas and the atmospheric tonalities presented. There's not like anything happens in it that's terrifying or sure. Yeah, it's just a, a fella talking in a kitchen. Yeah, and it's also like cute and funny because there's these kids and it's like a joke. There's lots of jokes in it. Yeah, um, but it still ends up in this place of I don't even know exactly what to call it. Well, there's also there's like a little bit of this sort of uh, I don't know, like existential dread where he because some of the stuff he's talking about is like he sees this camera as sort of uh, related to death and related to like, I don't, yeah, related to death, basically. Um, and he sees these kids playing with it and he sees some sort of impending tragedy that we don't see and yeah. the kids don't see. But the, he has some very specific fear that he seems worried about related to the children and the camera. Um, so there is, there's like a very, I don't, yeah, like d- dreadful underlying current uh, that we we don't see get explored directly. But it does, yeah. But there is that um, that sense that the kids are getting drawn into something, yeah, that yeah, he exactly. finds really dangerous and really yeah. terrifying and the camera itself he almost treats like a monster yeah yeah exactly um but it's a very cronenberg monster yeah. in that 
And one of the things that makes Cronenberg's films distinct to me is that even though he makes, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm specifically talking about the first chunk, you mm-hmm. know, the rabid shivers, the brood, videodrome, sure. um, dead ringers, crash. He, he's, he's examining things that we're looking at things that are shocking. Sure. And maybe horrific, maybe monstrous, but are also maybe inevitable in some way. Or maybe uh, one of the things I always find interesting is this suggestion in Cronenberg's films that all of the horror is only horrific because of our point of view, Mm. because of where we are standing on things. Sure. I think I think about Shivers a lot where, I mean, that's a movie that if you take a broad enough step back, reads like a zombie movie, essentially. Sure. Right, like it's sure. it's people getting taken over by some force, yeah, and uh, you know becoming becoming. They're still people. They're still standing there. They still look like people, but their their values have been upended, and they're becoming um, more violent, more sexual, more uh, not not bestial exactly, but sure. like more more aggressive, more instinctual. Mm-hmm. Um. And the bulk of the film is this like horror at this happening, yeah. and the main hero is is trying to to escape or fix it or get out of it. But there's this way that it ends where, and I think somebody else has made this observation before me, um, but I, I couldn't tell you when. Sure. But the there's the the big end of the film is like in a swimming pool where the one lone guy who hasn't been turned yet is finally cornered by all of the the changed people. Mm-hmm. And one woman who is sort of a love interest in the film has been changed, and she's coming towards him in the pool. And there's almost this erotic aspect of desire to it, not just horror, right? Like, she's coming to get him. But what does getting him really mean? It means he's transformed into one of these things and goes with her and goes with them. Yeah. And then the end of the film, they're going out to like spread throughout humanity. And it always makes me think of, it actually, it always makes me think of I am legend. (laughs) Sure. And the connection of I am legend to Romero's night of the living dead, because the whole idea of I am legend it's the Richard Matheson book about, you know, the, the last man left on earth, an earth populated by vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, the guy spends so much time, you know, battening down the hatches and figuring out how he's going to get food and kill vampires. And, you know, he's, he's fighting and fighting against this changed world. Yeah. And by the end of the novel, he actually has the realization that like, no, the world's fully changed. Yeah. Now I'm the monster. Yeah. I'm the legend that they're all terrified of because instead of a world dominated by humans with like a lone monster coming out to kill humans, yeah. it's a world dominated by vampires with one dude. Yeah. He's the Count coming Dracula. out to kill. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just the way that these value systems can be reversed. Sure. In horror fiction. And what's, what's horrific is often also what's desired. Yeah. And that. I mean, sort of more more blunt horror fiction just kind of plays with that for prurient, you know, titillation. Sure. But somebody who's thinking on the lines of a Matheson or a Cronenberg is actually delving into, like, well, what what would it mean, really, if this was the new paradigm? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I remember that Romero talked a bit about that in terms of the dead films. where. Sure. You know, the dead are rising from the grave and it's it's obviously horrific and people are dying and getting eaten, but also it's It's just people. <laughs> if that if, if that's the new way of being, like yeah. at a certain point if it, it hits a tipping point where like, no, that's accepted now. That's yeah. the That's most of us at this point. So Yeah. <laughs> like there there's all kinds of horrific things that we countenance every day. Yeah. You know, just by living and working in the society that we do. Yeah. And because it's factored in as part of business, it's factored in as what's normal. Right. It may be something that we can say, oh, that's too bad. And, oh, we should try to change it or try to make it better. 
but it's not the kind of band-aid ripping off moment of horror right that you get when you then translate these things into the metaphor of zombies or you know sex something other creatures from space yeah or a mysterious camera gliding around the house with precocious little children (laughs) (laughs) you know sucking les carlson's soul out yeah uh because he can't stop acting right the camera yeah yeah he is he is compelled to perform i don't know do you have any thoughts on that i well i like that you sort of are identifying i don't know i i agree with your phases of cronenberg I, I agree with the way you break them up. And I think it's, I don't know, did you watch the, his, the more recent of the two crimes of the futures? No, I'm, I'm still stuck. Uh, I haven't seen anything since Cosmopolis. You, you don't have to watch them chronologically. No, but I, but I want to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Um, I, uh, ba- no, I like, I literally just have them in a stack where sure. it's like, all right, I'm, I'm getting to these. I want to watch the, you know. Well. It's I I heard some people refer to it as a as a return to form because it is kind of like weird sci-fi in a way that sort of the that second phase largely is, um, but it also very directly deals with some of the stuff you were just talking about with sort of um, there being some people who are like wrong in a certain way, but that is that is like the future. <laughs> um, it deals very directly with that. Yeah, so we'll have to talk about it once you watch it. Yeah, I would love to. We should just do a Cronenberg episode at some point. Sure. Yeah. Or, I'm kind or of surprised we've never tried one to for each do phase. That? Let's do one for each phase. Yeah. There we go. Actually, we could do. I would do a Cronenberg series. Sure. We just do. I mean, how many? How many are there? It's not twenty something. Yeah. Can't be that many. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Exactly. It's not even thirty-one. Yeah. So <laughs> whatever. Child's we can play. That. Yeah. We do one a day, and it would still be less than February. But yeah, no, in, um, in camera, Les Carlson, I remember his monologue, it, the monologue shifts before the film shifts because he talks mm. about how everything is, is, uh, oh, he has that great line where he says, when you look at it in a cold light. Oh, yes. Photography is death. Yeah. But I, I love that because it has this dual layers to it, right? Because sure. it, it, it's the first initial idea is, striking because you're like ah yes photography is death when you capture the moment you capture the death of the moment that's very interesting very yes you must be right about that that's so smart but it's that first part where he says when you look at it in a cold light why are you looking at it in a cold light you can look at it in other lights yeah in a warm light photography is full of life yeah when and and the thing is cronenberg knows that yeah like that's why it's there yeah it's it's to to sort of signal to you it's like this is in the perspective now the the important thing is it's not just that it's like oh it's just a matter of perspective change your mind and the horror goes away it's like no it's still (laughs) horrific because you can't change your mind like that yeah that's not how minds change you have the mind (laughs) you have because of the circumstances you are from yeah and you are not going to change to accept these things yeah you're going to be replaced by these things (laughs) yeah exactly and like maybe it's just because i was watching camera and then going to work at a preschool surrounded by precocious children who are going sure. to replace me sure but it definitely it resonated yeah yeah i mean it's also i think just being middle-aged we're middle-aged right yeah man <laughs> yeah just being middle-aged and like medium successful in life you know it's uh i probably even if you're super successful in life you yeah. know if you're i don't know who's 40 and super successful but somebody and they're probably looking at people who are 20 and pretty successful and and feeling it in the pit of their stomach well you think a lot of the more successful people get more aggravated yeah, those probably. are the ones you really probably hear being like well this new this new generation doesn't care about anything that right. is valuable this yeah, new yeah, just trying to see, like, dismiss them entirely I, I I watch a lot of YouTube videos on on music production and audio technology, and there's always videos of guys coming out being like, "Why Gen Z hates music?" It's like, <laughs> do they? You're like, they definitely don't. I think they are maybe just using it differently than you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And me, they're, they're making it sounds you're not me, used to, but <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Yes, I see. There, you could find a video of a Gen Zer dancing in eight seconds on the internet. Yeah. They clearly like it. It's interesting, too, because in camera, Les Carlson has this turning point 
in his monologue, and it's emphasized by the one the one thing you could call an awkward cut in the whole film. But I don't think it's accidental, but it it's this one thing where the the it's it's still in the mini DV section. Mm-hmm. And it's this shot of Carlson laughing. Okay. And when I watch it, every time I watch it, it almost feels like it starts too early and ends too late. But just yeah. by a fraction of a second. In that in that way that when you watch amateur films or student films mm-hmm. and there's edits where it's not doing something interesting, sure. really. There's not like experimenting. Like something interesting is about just, to happen. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they just, they haven't learned which frame to cut on yet. Yeah. They know that they want this shot of this yeah. thing happening, but they don't realize that they can jump into it later <laughs> and our brains will fill in like the the missing second and a half of yeah. information and it'll flow better. And it almost feels like that, but again, I mean this is this is a master sure filmmaker that we're talking about. This is a short film where the time is very precious and everything else is meticulously done. Yeah. So it feels like this weird shot of him laughing is a conscious transition into the next part of his monologue where he starts talking about how he starts to let go of his fear and anger about the camera. You know, the, these, these feelings leave him and, and are replaced by sort of a calm, pleasant acquiescence Mm. to what's happening. You know, the children are enjoying themselves and it seemed pure and innocent enough. There there is an acceptance, right? Yeah. The end of the mini DV section where he's like, talking about how terrible it all is and then and then he's like well they're they're having fun yeah and it is almost this <laughs> like who am i who am i to fear for yeah. these kids yeah it, it, and it, i almost want to transplant it back into shivers and have the guy just before he gets shivered <laughs> yeah. into a shiver be like well i guess this is just what they're enjoying yeah exactly you know i guess it's just what they do i'll just be a shiver now okay yeah or like the parts in Videodrome where it's sort of <laughs> if he looked straight that... into the camera and he was like, "It's just shivers." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what you Videodrome? <laughs> Shiver me timbers. <laughs> um, I was saying uh, the the bits in Videodrome where it it is implied that it's entirely possible that Videodrome doesn't exist, <laughs> yeah, or that any of the conspiracy parts are not actually conspiracy parts, and it, it it's all so weird and muddy and murky and you can't tie it all together but yeah. in this way that really just makes it a a metaphor for the experience of new technologies and new cultural forms sure. and new transgressions which doesn't mean they're all good sure. but it, it it pulls you back from having to think too much about like oh it's good or bad or we are already good and being replaced with the bad yeah. it's like no we we are x yeah. And that is why. And the process of going from X to Y is going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, it's going to be a tough times. transition. It's going to be weird. But we're not putting value judgments on it. You know, it just, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. It's like a natural process. Uh-huh. Yeah, progress isn't always what you think it's going to be. Yeah. That's why all of his technology is always so organic. Yeah. It's like these are natural processes that are occurring. Yeah, this is just what's next. Yeah. Oh, this this makes me really want to rewatch Existence. Yes. Oh my god, with the tooth gun. Yeah. I haven't seen it. I've watched it. I think I watched it once. And I watched it with people who were like that movie was ridiculous and bad and I was like you're ridiculous and bad. Yeah, I remember uh hanging out in the back of a comic book store and people were making fun of it without having even seen it mm. because there was some pull quote from a movie reviewer that was like blows the matrix away and they're like bullshit. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I was like it kind of does, though. Like, it's, I mean, it's a weird way to sell it, but like, sure, yeah. Because it, it's basically, you know, it's telling the same story, <laughs> but smarter and funnier, sure, and scarier. Yeah, I mean, I think it also was disserviced by being named existence, spelled stupid. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I don't know if it had been from a. I feel like if it had like had a, a bigger filmmaker. marketing push, <laughs> then that wouldn't have English. mattered. Sure. Yeah. Maybe. You know. <laughs> 
I remember dismissing it when I first saw the poster because the name was real stupid. So I guess I'm assuming other people did too. I mean, it didn't look like anything. No. Like it, when I, when I remember when I first saw it, I was super shocked. And part of it is because I just didn't know Cronenberg that well. Sure. Sure. Um, but like, I didn't understand that Jennifer Jason Lee was important Mm -hmm. and Jude Law was not. I mean, he remains not that interesting to me, but... Sure, but he has never been. <laughs> but he didn't grab me there either. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I remember the whole aesthetic of it. It looked extremely 90s. Sure. In a way that I just thought, well, this can't be anything. But then watching it, I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and it, it did. It, like, you know, it, it genuinely, by the end of the film, has you existentially bewildered. But... <laughs> I'm not sure why the different perceptions of Cronenberg is is so interesting to me. Sure, you know. Well, it's clearly striking. It's clearly striking because you you clearly perceive him to be uh, philosophical in in a way that that is apparent. <laughs> uh, and it's and, and maybe I, and I'm coming in remiss uh, not. Not knowing that, or or seeing seeing something different than you're seeing, or just understanding it differently. I don't know. What also just seems like your personality and your your way of of being is not going to. You're not going to be sitting there watching a film and asking yourself how much did the filmmaker think through his themes. Oh, that's you know? true. I don't like care that's at just, all. You're never going to think about it from yeah. that perspective. And I'm, I mean. God willing, I won't either in that precise of like, terms, <laughs> sure. but I do sit, I do watch things and I don't know why, but I, I wonder, or I think that I perceive that a film is being more deliberately thoughtful than another mm. film. You know, there, there's, there are the truths that are found just through sort of lashing around and, sure. you, you know, in the kind of trash genre of films that we love there are these ecstatic moments that come just they they may as well have been accidental for all of the different things that had to happen for that one you know flash of glory sure um, but then there are films that get there in a more exacting analytical way right and sure. I, I'm, I'm not sure if that dichotomy makes sense yeah, I think so. Or if I'm just really tired. No, yeah, I think it. I think it does. I think it does. I think it's. Uh, that's like. Uh, I don't know, like R- Roland Barthes talks about is like the studium and punctum kind of, <laughs> right? where like there's the there's the like sort of intentional creation of the artist, and then there's like the the chaotic world bits that jab through, uh, and and grab you. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm like yeah, exactly. It, it's like Manny Farber. You know, the Manny Farber. Sure. Manny Farber. Um, <laughs> so are you except saying that I'm, I'm saying that instead of white elephants white elephant. and termites, <laughs> yeah. I'm saying like cool real elephants and termites. Sure, sure, sure. Like I'm happy with either one. <laughs> sure. Well, also what Manny Farber is is dismissing with white elephant and termite is the right because he talks a lot. He's like people who are trying to make a perfect thing end up making. A, a sweet humidor or whatever, right? But <laughs> yeah. like, but someone could also try to make something and make a beautiful sculpture, right? There's like, there is, yeah, yeah. there is a world for carefully crafting a thing and having it be nice. <laughs> yes, agreed. Yeah. Jason, do we have to talk about something spooky? <laughs> I was trying to figure out if we're actually recording anything usable. <laughs> um, I mean, you know. Or if we're just being friends on the internet. <laughs> Every Everything's usable if you just put, like, groans and chains behind it. Oh, that's true. We could just have a normal conversation <laughs> scored by spooky sounds of Halloween. <laughs> then at the end, a, a Vincent Price sound-alike can come on and say... And both of them were dead the whole time. <laughs> yeah. And everyone will be like, I'm never going to splittooth.com ever again. 
Really, it's just scary for Brett and Chris. <laughs> the tooth would fall out. <laughs> oh. When I start making love, I don't just make love. I be stroking. That's what I be doing. <laughs> I be stroking. I stroke it to the east, and I stroke it to the west. And I stroke it to the woman that I love the best. I be stroking. Synesthesia is produced by Iguana Donald Studios and distributed by Split Tooth Media. Music by The Cocktails, courtesy of Tight Ship Records. Theme music by Soft Healer. Synesthesia is recorded live under the watchful gaze of an insane drum machine which is planning its weird revenge. Or perhaps I've said too much. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever made love on a couch? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever made love on the back seat of a car? I remember one time I made love on the back seat of a car, and the police came and shined his light on me, and I said, I'm stroking. That's what I'm doing. I be stroking. I stroke it to the east, and I stroke it to the west, and I stroke it. If it didn't die, it's got to be pretty fucking pissed. I don't want to think about it, man. Synesthesia.